0: Welcome back to Give That Fan a Podcast. This is our second installment since rebooting, and uh as always, well I say as always, but it'll be as always moving forward. Uh I'm joined by Paul Valley. Paul, the Orioles are hot again. They're seven and one in their last eight games. Half a game back of the third wild card as we speak. Uh the, the Tampa Bay Rays are in the bottom of the seventh with a one-run lead over the Brewers as we do this on Wednesday afternoon. Orioles are two games back of the first wild card with the Orioles and Blue Jays in the middle of a series. Uh, tonight's game I think is going to end up rained out, uh, or at least delayed by a little bit. The forecast is not looking great, but uh, Paul, the Orioles are having another good stretch. How are you feeling?
1: Yeah, I feel good. I um I was at the game last night, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but uh um, had to leave prematurely after that rain delay because of the pooch, but um. Yeah, no, the, the Orioles are playing good baseball. They're they're red hot. They they're winners of seven of seven of eight. I think they're what twenty two and seven since since uh, what July third or, or something like that. Like th- somewhere around there. Yeah, their their record over the last twenty nine games I think is the second best in baseball, only behind the Dodgers. Um, yes. So yeah, they're they're playing good baseball still. Matt Kremenzer put out a tweet today that said. Um, I think we really need to stop and reflect on the fact that the Orioles are the hottest team in baseball with a rotation of Jordan Lyles, Kyle <laughs> Braddish, Dean Kramer, uh, Spencer Watkins, and uh, Austin Voth. Is it Voth or both?
0: Both, I believe. Both,
1: Austin Voth. Um, so yeah, look, it beats the alternative, right? The Orioles are, are playing really well, and they they they've already won a series against the Blue Jays, and so they're headed in the right direction for this final stretch. They play a ton of winning playoff and uh, playoff caliber teams. So uh, I, I like where they are now. Let's see where they are in a week.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, we we were saying the lineup or the uh, schedule, excuse me, is starting to get real. And uh, so far, so good with two wins against Toronto. Uh, getting closer and closer to, uh, I mean, second place is is not far away at all. Two games back. So, right. you know, this is, this is a good team. It's very exciting. Uh, the big thing that everyone's talking about right now, Felix Bautista. His closer entrance the last couple nights, he's come into the Omar whistle. Monday, nobody was prepared, and as a result, nobody was able to get video. It's a 10-second whistle. They mm-hmm. didn't do anything afterward. They just continued into his normal music. Um, I was there. I heard it. I turned to my friend, and we both shared a glance of, oh, my God, they just did the Omar whistle. Uh, but it wasn't very loud. It wasn't super exciting, but it was something that the Orioles kind of did to just get the juices flowing and see how the fans would react. Uh, We reacted accordingly, asked for a little more showmanship. And last night, Tuesday night, I should say, everybody in the stadium was prepared. Everyone had their phones out. A bunch of people posted video. The whistle was followed by a light show and a little bit of a hype video. There was some audio of Kevin Brown talking about Felix Bautista being six foot eight. I believe I heard something calling him the mountain, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess, coined by Ben McDonald. Uh, But in any event, Felix Bautista is the Orioles closer now and he's got an entrance to back that up. What are your thoughts on on this new excitement in the ninth inning?
1: Well, look, after we saw Edwin Diaz all over social media and all over <laughs> TV with his entrance yep. with the the trumpets playing, which was epic. And then Josh Hader had one last night only to go blow the save. Um <laughs> I think it's I think it's fitting. You know, this this team's playing good baseball. Felix Bautista has that 102 mile an hour fastball to be paired with an 89 mile an hour splitter. He's as hittable as anybody in the game, as unhittable as anybody in the game right now. And look, the Orioles are playing good baseball. You got to have that swagger. I I love it. I I don't know if it's going to stick around or not. They were talking to Felix Bautista about it, and I read him saying that they were playing the Undertaker's music when he would come in last year in the minors. Uh, he, saw, he thought that was really cool, maybe it switches to that, but if you have your finger on the pulse of the city, I think the Omar whistle, followed by his music and a little hype video is, and that light show, which was freaking awesome. It's so funny, man, because I was at the game last night, and I remember, I, I'm looking up at the lights, and I'm thinking to myself, they used to do a light show when Zach Britton would come into the game, Yeah, I haven't seen anything about that since, and then they did a light show, of course, I wasn't there, I left early, um, but... They did the light show. I just thought that was cool. I, I, I love every bit of it.
0: Yeah, man. Andy Koska wrote up a little thing for the Baltimore Sun uh, talking about it, and he got in touch with the organization. and uh, They kind of just told him, we're not really sure how we're going to move forward with it, but I, I think at this point the fan response to it and the fact that it's gone completely viral on Twitter is it bodes well for, for the use of it to continue. Uh, but it, it was it was very exciting. Got the crowd riled up. I'm sure the players enjoyed it too, but you know you mentioned Zach Britton. We haven't had a, a light show since he would come in and they'd play for those about to rock, and that was exciting in his own in its own right. Edwin Diaz's intro was awesome, but Felix Bautista having that the Baltimore, the Wire, Omar Little. Uh, he said in that article that he didn't really he didn't know the Wire, so I don't think this was Bautista's doing. But no, in any event, it was all. it's it's absolutely exciting. Now, Paul, you've talked about how you and uh, you were at the game last night. Yeah. You were able to take your lovely wife, Laura. Uh, it was her first game of the year. I'm glad she finally was able to make it out. So I texted you after the rain delay um, to see if you guys were still there because we had some open seating near us. Um, you know, obviously the Orioles allow everybody to sit where they want after a rain delay for the fans mm-hmm. that stuck around. We had a few seats by us, I figured I'd invite you down if you were still there. You said you had left because you had to go home and take care of the dog. The Orioles come back after the rain delay. Rugnet Odor, our favorite player, to run homer to give us the lead in the bottom of the eighth. Then you get the light show. And I I'm mostly asking this in jest, but that brings me to my question, which is do you regret getting a dog?
1: Oh man. <laughs> there are very few things that can make me regret getting a dog. I love I, I love that little dude. And um if it was gonna be anything, it would be something involving the Orioles. But no, 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 no. Bruce is like <laughs> he's he was a game changer for me. I love that guy. So um no, I don't regret getting a dog. I told myself that if the Orioles came back and won, I wouldn't regret leaving the stadium. I still felt a little kind of way about it. Um we're looking at the at the radar it's nine thirty-three, and i was like it looks like the radar the, the rain is just a small cell it'll be out of here by 10 30 and Laura's like we can't stay for that she's like we, but if we do that we won't get home till midnight at the earliest and right. he's been in the crate since five thirty when we left to go down to the ballpark so begrudgingly i left i i agreed with her and i understood and um and of course odor with the two-run homer and yeah, I, mean, I feel like I'm not even allowed to be happy about it because of how much hate I have slung at him that like Dude, people gonna be coming at me with receipts, but <laughs> you know, uh, it, it was, um, yeah, man, I wish I could have been there, but I've seen a lot of, a, a lot of walk-offs in my day live. I've seen a lot of comebacks and, uh, you know, this one, it was, it was an awesome one. It was, it was one of the best wins of the year, but had to do what I had to do, man. So it's only going to get harder from here because kids are next, so.
0: There you go. Well, I, I, I agree with you completely. I, so I was there with, with my friend Danny and my cousin Will, and we were sitting down there. And when the bottom of the eighth inning started, Danny said, this is setting up perfectly for Rugneto-Door's go-ahead two-run homer. Right. And if he didn't, nail that call. But I, I turned to him and I said, I'm almost going to be angry if it happens. Not, right. I mean, look, I'm always going to root for the Orioles to win. Always, no matter who is the contributor. But man. If that wasn't set up perfectly, Rugneto Dor who is completely useless when it's not a close game, <laughs> you know, I, 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 the he hit the ball. I knew it was gone. I just kind of turned to him with my arms out. I was like, "Really? This is this is what we're doing?" After he had a, a game that was incredibly frustrating, between an error, a missed relay. It just—it wasn't Another great. Error and then after
1: the home run in the ninth,
0: exactly. Luckily, that didn't come back the to ba- hurt us too the, much. The
1: base running blunder. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's uh, which yeah. Was, that, which was so bad. It was so bad. I'm watching it happen, and I'm like, I saw him hesitate, right? And I'm like, I get it. You don't know, like from where I was sitting, I could tell that ball was dropping in, but he was off on the pitch. He was running. Um, the ball gets hit. He looks up and he has to make sure the guy's not going to catch it. So he probably doesn't have the same vantage point that I do. Were you third and then base he side? Hesits. Yeah, I was I was directly behind home plate. I was up in section okay. three three thirty six, gotcha. um, and I'm watching this happen, and I'm like, "All right, it's not going to be caught." But you already stopped. You got to go back. And then when it landed, he went to third. I'm like, "You're done. You're done." Yeah. He, th- some people were saying he should just kept going. He's out either way. The, the second that he took another step towards third base, he was done for. Um, but yeah, man, th- this is the the second t- second straight. Uh game tying home or game time or go ahead home run that Ruvenet O'Dor has hit. They immediately followed some blunders on the field and both times I'm sitting there and I'm like, get him out of here. Get it. I actually didn't comment on his bad game to that point other than to say you can also lead by being productive. And um he hits a home run both times I went, Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like that that was, just, that was
0: my reaction too.
1: Like go figure, right?
0: Yeah. Uh it's you know, what can you do? If the Orioles won, it was incredibly exciting. Um, I'm glad he hit the home run. I will never not root for him to hit a home run in that moment right. uh, until he's not on the Orioles think, anymore.
1: People think that, like, it rubs me the wrong way that he hits a home run. Like, no, I want him to hit home runs. If he was batting 250 with 20 home runs, I wouldn't hate the guy at all. I don't even hate the guy. I just don't want him on the team. But, you know, like I'm happy when he does stuff like that. It's just the the thing that bothers me is I know I'm going to get the backlash from everybody else on social media. And it's like, like I'm happy about it, but I can't even show that I'm happy about it because – and I'm sitting there and usually when I'm active on Twitter during a game it's if I'm watching it. Like if if I'm not active, it's because I'm working, right? Right. And usually when I'm that active, when they win a ball game, I will say something and I'm like – what the hell am I going to say here? I put up hell of a win, Odor doing what Odor does, three stupid errors, one big home run. What else <laughs> can I say?
0: If that's not the full Rugnet Odor experience, uh, it's, it's been this way since he was with Texas. He's, he's right. the, most clutch, the most clutch bad baseball player you could possibly draw right. up. Um, now, to be fair, he hasn't been very clutch lately. Last night was the first time in a while he had come through in a big spot for us. However, it's still exciting to see. Uh, Now, Paul, down in the seating bowl, um, I I, saw—I looked over right after the rain delay ended. Mike Elias and Sig Meidel uh, were sitting down there in the seating bowl amongst the fans. I believe Sig's wife was the lady next to him. I don't know if there were any other executives. I I wouldn't be very good at recognizing them. Uh, But it looked like Mike and Sig and Sig's wife just having a grand old time. Uh, It was after a nearly 90-minute rain delay. Um, It's not the first time I've seen either of them down in the seating bowl. Um, but Paul, I don't know how I would even begin to go about trying to find out if this is a thing that GMs do. I, I don't know if other GMs have done this. I don't know, you know, if they do, how often it is. But, um, would you agree that it it feels meaningful, kind of given the state of this team that you've got Elias and Sig down there high-fiving fans after a home run and, and just enjoying the game almost as if they're just one of us?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that that's not the first time that we've seen Mike Elias in the stands, right? Masson, every time right. he's in the stands, Masson shows it, right? Yeah. Um, Him sitting in the middle of all these fans that came down to sit down there after the delay and the look on his face, the smile, how how happy he was after that Odor home run. I don't know that other GMs do it. I don't really care if other GMs do it. I think it's awesome. I think it's it's a good sign to your city, your fan base, your team that you're sitting in there and you are having the time of your life watching your team win a ball game. To me, it makes me feel like his comments about it being lift off from here and the, all the comments that he made after trading away Mancini and Lopez are genuine. That, like, this is fun for him, and it's like, all right, let's th- 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 let's let's ride with this. Still don't understand some guys being on the roster ahead of some guys in the minors, but that's a topic for another moment. Um, I think I love it. I love it. Get, get, it, it Entrench yourself in with those fans. Sit amongst them and just have the time of your life, man. It looked like he was.
0: Yeah, it was it was great. Um, at, you know, Monday night when uh, Bautista came into the whistle, I tweeted out from my O's account that you know, red alert, this just happened, and everyone immediately was begging for video. Even responses to the Orioles, you know, post game tweets were post the post the whistle video, post Bautista's entrance. No one had video because no one was prepared, and the Orioles obviously didn't you know take video. Otherwise, they would have posted it. Mm-hmm. So Tuesday night. I get this video of Odor's home run, or uh, sorry of Bautista's entrance. I post it, I caption it, there we go. I probably should have said something about it being the whistle or Felix Bautista otherwise people can't find it if they're looking for it. Oh right. right, right. But so I post that video and then 10 minutes later or I guess the first video I posted would have been Odor oh, right. getting the home run chain and then I pan over to Mike Elias and Sig and that was the video that I posted that got more attention than Bautista's entrance. Mm-hmm. I just, I thought that was interesting. A lot of fans thought it was really cool to see Mike and Sig there. You mentioned the smiles on their faces. It, it was, it was really cool to see. And I, I hope we get to see more of that as this team continues to get better and better.
1: Yeah. But I, I, I think that Mike goes, Mike Elias goes down into the stands a pretty fair amount of times.
0: I think he does. I, I think w- what was special about it last night, though, to me was it was after a, a 90 minute delay. Not a ton yeah. of fans left, and good God. Well, I'm sorry if you guys can hear thunder on my stream. Uh, it looks like a storm's rolling in down here in Rockville.
1: Uh, up here, man, it's nothing but clear skies. That's crazy. I got, I'm well, looking out. The, I, I got two windows in front of me. It's nothing but clear skies.
0: I'm not sure how much longer that's going to last. Have you seen my my room flash with lightning in the last few minutes? No. Oh wow. Yeah, it's something's coming in. Anyway. Uh, you hey, talk uh, about
1: who's, who who's more scared of the thunderstorm, my dog or you, Ryan?
0: Oh, I'm not scared. I just I wanted to warn people that if you hear a roar in my microphone, it's it's the thunder. Uh I I I love a good thunderstorm. I There's really do. In fact, over
1: here. it was lightning and then the thunder.
0: Exactly. Exactly. You now I I might find myself sitting out on the balcony after we uh we finish recording this cuz I I love watching a good storm. Um but Paul, you mentioned, you know, we we talk about Mike and Sig and this roster construction and how much fun we're having. And you bring up the point that there are still players in the minors that you'd like to see on the major league roster over certain guys who are already here. You wrote an article on Utah street report. Uh, it was posted. What was that Monday, Monday morning titled being critical while having fun. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to give you a little opportunity just to just kind of sound off on that. Um, you made a lot of good points. I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I agreed with every word um, what was the encouragement behind writing that article and what's the main point you're trying to get across?
1: So I went to the game on Sunday and it was, it was one of the worst games of the year. The Orioles lost eight to one. They were basically dead in the water. Uh, Jorge Mateo hit that home run to give him a one, nothing lead. And that was pretty much the only good thing that happened the entire game. And I'm watching a lineup that has uh roof, Neto and Brett and Brett Phillips in it. And they combined to go, I think they went uh one for seven. In, no, actually, I think Odor actually had a hit. Yeah, yeah, he had a hit. Phillips didn't. I think they were something like one for seven in the game with two strikeouts. And it was the third straight game that they were both in the starting lineup. And I looked this up, The or- and it's in my article. The Orioles are the only team in Major League Baseball that's rostering three guys that are hitting below 200 with as many as 100 plate appearances. There's other teams that have th- three, four guys with... Uh, batting averages below 200, but none of them have more than like 50, 60 plate appearances, or at least not all of them. The Orioles have three guys, not only have 100 plate appearances batting that low, 150 plus. 150 plus for all three of them. And if you're a winning ball club, which the Orioles are, they're 58 and 52. They're a half team out of a playoff spot. You can't have that on your roster. Chirinos is the only one to me that that's acceptable because he's the backup catcher. If he could hit he's probably not a backup catcher of Baltimore. He's probably starting... I just saw the lightning in your There you go. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. You just got paparazzi taking pictures of you, but he's probably starting someplace else. So Chirinos is the only one that I find acceptable. Odor and Phillips, they don't offer you anything offensively the majority of the time. And so I'm posting this and people are telling me I'm being reactive and they're telling me that you know, just enjoy. If one more person tells me just to enjoy the winning right now, like it's not that I'm not enjoying it, guys. I just know that this team can be even better, right? Right. And my, if this was 2019, 2020, 2021, and they're on their way to another 105, 110 loss season, then let Odor play every day. Batallino, buy him cleanup. I don't get at him. I don't care. Have him in the lineup because he might hit a home run, and that's exciting. When you're a winning ball club, a guy who makes stupid errors on the base paths, a guy who makes, but his errors are look to me to be out of laziness uh, in the field. And then on top of that, then he's not hitting either. That's not a dude that should be playing on a winning ball club. And people are like, well, they won two of those three games with Odor and Phillips in the lineup. Yeah, against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Play those guys in the same lineup against Toronto, against Tampa Bay, against Houston, against Cleveland, against the Chicago White Sox, and you're probably losing two out of three if not getting swept. And my point is that the Orioles are, on, are making a playoff run here. They've got guys in Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westbrook and Kyle Stowers knocking on the door that are major league ready. And I don't care what you say, Gunnar Henderson is major league ready. If nothing else, he can at least give you professional at-bats at the big league level. Maybe he hits 230. But he'll probably get on base at a 350 clip because he has professional at-bats. To me, you look at the 2012 Orioles. Exact same situation through 106 games, or 55 and 51. At 60 and 51, they called up a 20 year old Manny Machado from double A that was hitting 266. You're talking about a 21 year old Gunnar Henderson who's in triple A hitting damn near 300 with a 400 on base percentage and a 550 slugging percentage. And you're saying, oh, he's not ready. How's Manny ready 10 years ago and Henderson's not ready now? I get it, different regimes, but this team. They're good now. They can be that much better by getting some of these guys up here to replace the dudes that are hitting below 200. And that's my overall point. You don't need to mortgage the future to make a run at this thing. You didn't need to be sellers or buyers at the deadline. All you have to do is call up Henderson, Stowers, and Westberg, or one of Henderson and West, one of Henderson and Westberg, and Kyle Stowers, and that's adding from your own system guys who should be here now anyway that make you better. And that's my point. I I, I want the Orioles to be as good as possible. Yes, winning is nice, and I'm enjoying it, but I want this team to take that next step. If the playoffs are right there, get there. They've made the playoffs five times in my lifetime, 13 winning seasons. I want it. Give me the playoffs, and you do that by calling up the guys that are better than what you currently have.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And you look at someone like Kyle Stowers, who would he replace on the roster? The obvious answer there is Brett Phillips. Ru- Ignat Odor would be the, uh, I guess, get designated for assignment if they were to call up one of these infielders. But you also have Tyrone Evan on your 26-man roster. Mm-hmm. He's got options. He's not playing much at all. He's not giving you yeah, great production right. when he is playing. So he, he gets optioned easily. You want to keep Odor around? Fine. Keep him on the bench. Get one of those young infielders in the lineup. Uh, he shouldn't be taking playing time away from Taron Vavra. He will not be taking playing, or better not be taking playing time away from Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg when they're up here. Maybe uh, Ramona Rios gets moved to a bench spot. But in any event, I'd I'd say it's okay to appreciate the winning that is happening while Mm -hmm. still acknowledging that there is room for improvement. That's the whole point of being a sports fan. And, you know, you mentioned that the Orioles didn't have to improve at the deadline by being buyers. They traded away a couple guys. They can have a much better second-half roster than they had at the beginning of the season, and that's Mm -hmm. without Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez if they just make a couple of these moves. So I, I agree with your point there. I'm glad you wrote that article. You haven't been writing much. I think you mentioned it was your second article since March of 2020. Yeah. But it was a great one. It was a good read. Very agreeable. My wife um, told
1: me that she thought it was too long. And I was. It was. It it was a long article, but it was the only way to get out because I was getting so annoyed because people just didn't understand that I wasn't talking about one game. I'm talking about the rest of the season. And you get 240 characters on Twitter – and it's like I need to write an article. I got to get this off my chest. I need to say exactly what I mean and have people understand it. And you know, it's just it's it's one of those things. It's nothing against these guys personally. There are better ballplayers already in your system that are knocking on the door. Get them up here. And also, exactly. and I I alluded to it in the article that I also understand that calling up Westberg or Henderson and calling up Stowers at the same time gives you a roster crunch. It means oh, less for sure. playing time for Arias and Vavra and less playing time in the outfield for Santander or Hayes on a given night. And, you know, because you're probably going to have Santander DH and Stowers play right field. And you're probably gonna have to move Arias over the second base to put Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg at third base, which means Vavra isn't playing as much. It, like, I understand what happens, but that's, the tough – and I ended the article like this. That's the tough decisions that winning ball clubs have to make. Yeah, the, and It should be in the business of saving somebody's feelings when you have a playoff chase on the line.
0: Exactly, and it's a good problem to have when there are too many guys who deserve to be in your starting lineup. And I'm yeah. I'm excited for the Orioles to once again have that problem because it's it's been quite some time. Absolutely. Uh, big news today. Grayson Rodriguez threw off a full mound today for the first time since his injury – Paul, do you think we see him in the majors before the season ends, or do they play it safe and, and wait till spring?
1: Oh man. Um knowing this team and knowing Mike Elias the way I do, and I'm not like buddy buddy with Mike Elias, but I know the way he that he runs a ball club for the last four years. Um, I don't think we see him. I no, he did Elias did make the comments that if you would ask him a month ago, he'd say Grace Rodriguez isn't pitching again this year. But now the way he's progressing, he's ahead of schedule. He thinks that they want to see him on a game mound. Um, if they see him on a game mound, I don't know if it's at the major league level. I, I can't imagine that you wouldn't send him on a rehab start or something like that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I don't think we see him in Baltimore this year, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if they do, especially if they're so close to the playoffs towards the end of the season. Is he on the 40-man? He's on the 40-man, right?
0: Grayson, I don't believe, is on the 40-man. D.L. Hall is because he had to be protected. Oh, right.
1: D.L. Hall is. so Grayson, Grayson will have to be protected. Now, so that people are talking about how the Orioles might be calling up Stowers and Henderson and Grayson Rodriguez. If, if Grayson Rodriguez is ready, how they might be calling them up when the roster is expanded in September. But I'm pretty sure that to be on the playoff roster, you have to be on the 40-man before August 31st. I don't know if that date's been moved back or they did away with that, but I know that's how it used to be. So my question is, if you call these guys up when rosters expand in September, are they able to be on your playoff roster? Because I don't think that they are.
0: I don't think so either. I don't know the exact date either, um, but I I don't believe that they would be eligible. And the the other thing you have to consider is, and this is an issue that you figure out later as far as I'm concerned, but one thing I'm sure that the Orioles are talking about is – if you're adding these guys to the 40 man this year, guys who you're not going to have to protect for the rule five draft, then you're tightening your 40 man and you may end up losing, you know, the Orioles very easily could have lost Robert Newstrom or Nick Vespi if it weren't for the lockout. Mm-hmm. So you, you have to consider that as well going into this off because I'm sure there will be a rule five draft once again, yeah. you're going to have to protect guys from the 40 man. So that's another thing to consider. If you add them now, the only way to get them off is to designate them for assignment. Obviously you're not going to do that with your young studs. Right. Um, so let's go ahead and move on. We've we've been doing this for about the 26 minute mark. So let's get into some questions from listeners slash Twitter followers. May, they might just be Twitter followers. I hope they're listeners too. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but let's get into a couple of them. Uh, the first one that came in was when will Odor be added to Monument Park? Uh, he will not be. Let's move on to the next one. Um,
1: and Mon- <laughs> Monument Park is in Yankee Stadium, Yankee Stadium. And I don't think they do that for guys who got dfa F eight, So
0: yeah, I, I think he was talking about Legends Park. I, 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 would I hope. know what
1: he was talking about. Being called it Monument Park, which is the, yeah, yeah. the place in Yankee Stadium.
0: Right. If they want to put him out there, I, it's fine with me. But he's he's not getting a statue at Camden Yards. Um, a more interesting Ruben question came from Mike Gilman. Is Ruben the Jameis Winston of Major League Baseball? I saw that tweet, and I, I actually think that's a, a pretty solid comparison. One of those guys who's not good until he is.
1: Does that make sense? One, one of those guys who has you... Shaking your fist at him and then throwing your fist in the air exactly. a, a, a little bit later. In that sense, I can see that. Um, I think Jameis Winston's uh, more consistently successful than Ruth Odor is. But sure, if you're going to compare him to an NFL player, then, you know, sure. He, or, I think or, it fits. Right. Yeah, it it, it it does fit. It does fit.
0: I uh, had a couple questions from Hunter. Um, what do we think are the major storylines for the Orioles the rest of the season? He was referring to uh, promotions, uh, potential playoffs. What, what do we think are going to be the big things moving forward, Paul? Well, the
1: the, the big storyline is getting to the playoffs, right? The, this playoff chase. You're sitting here on August 10th, and you're a half game out of uh, the third wild card spot, and you're two games out of the first wild card spot, where you'd be hosting a wild card. I think you'd be hosting a wild card series. Um,
0: I believe so. Yeah, if you have the first spot, yeah. Yeah,
1: so that's the big storyline. I think the next biggest storyline is when – oh, and if – when do we see um, these prospects, if we see them at all? Um, Are we going to see Gunnar Henderson and Kyle Stowers and Jordan Westberg, any of those three, a couple of those three? Are we going to get D.L. Hall down the stretch? He was a little bit better in his his most recent start after two just bad ones uh, in a row previously. So it's – what prospects are coming and are they going to be able to help? And the question I asked, are they, if you make the playoffs and they come up after September 1st, are they going to be able to be on your playoff roster if they're not? Cause if you're on the 40 man, you, all you have to do is be on the 40 man. If you're not on the 40 man and you join the team after September 1st, then you can't help out. So I think that what prospects are going to see and can they help you in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, I think so too. Sorry. I'm, I'm muting my mic cause this thunder is pretty much nonstop. Um, But yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I I don't think there's anything kind of below the surface that that we'd be able to bring up as a major storyline. You know, obviously, we've been talking about these prospects for a couple weeks now, and that's not going to end until they are called up. And then can this team stay in the thick of a playoff hunt? Which brings me to another question. I think this one came from Ryan. Is this actually a playoff team? And, um, you know... It's it's hard to argue at this point that they're not. I mean, you, you know, you highlighted in your article, Paul, some of the the trends and the you know the Orioles have this record since this date. It's all trending upward, and there's no reason to believe that, especially if they continue adding guys to the mix, that that's going to change. And so, if the team stays on their current pace, they're they're almost certainly going to make the playoffs. Now, I don't think you can bank on that because this is a, a young team that has been bad for quite some time and you almost don't believe that they're legit until they clinch a playoff spot. And so there's a lot yet to be determined, but I've, you know, and and we talked about this in our other show too. It's great that the Orioles have started out off so strong. It's great that the Orioles are on this hot run, but they're going to, they're going to fizzle out and they'll end up winning, you know, 72, 75 games over the course of the full season. I don't think either of us feel that way anymore.
1: Yeah. So at the time that I wrote that article, the Orioles had fifty-four games left in, on the schedule. Um, in the previous, since game twenty, where they were where they lost and they fell to six and fourteen, uh, they were, they were played in the eighty-eight games since then. As of Sunday, they played at a ninety-two win pace since Adley Rutschman's debut on May twenty, the day after May twenty-first, when they lost on his debut. So since May twenty-second, they played a hundred and two win pace. And since they were at a season-high 11 games below 500 on June 11th, they played at a 106-win pace. So they're trending upward. They're in the right direction, right? They're, and they're they're only getting better. Uh, so you can't call the season a fluke, right? We're past it being a hot start. I've always been like, when you stop calling it a start and you just start calling it whatever it is, Because like, like you'll see – Oh, the Steelers got off to an 11-0 start. Well, I mean, that's two-thirds of the season. What do you mean they got off to an 11-0 start a couple right. of years ago, right? So at what point do you stop saying, oh, they got off to a good start, but they'll fizzle? They're in August. There's a month and a half left in the season. There's under a third of the schedule left, and they've been playing well above 500 baseball for three months. So at this point, you have to believe in this team. Will they make the playoffs? Well, you have to look at who else is in contention because you're not going to win the division. If somehow the Orioles win the division, it's the greatest comeback in the history of sports.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, But you have an opportunity to get into a wild card. Toronto, Toronto might be better than you. Uh, You've won more games against them than you've lost this year. But Toronto, their roster is probably more talented. I think we can agree on that. I would say Um, so. Tampa Bay, they might have better starting pitching, but they're beat up. They have a ton of guys on the I.L. I don't think they're better than Baltimore. I think Baltimore is a better team. So then you go to the Central, and the Central probably not get more than one team. Um, into the unless the White Sox get uber hot and they've been so up and down and beat up this year too, you really only have to be better than Seattle and I would imagine the White Sox and probably. And the question is, are you better than those teams? I think, I, and that's so hard to answer, man. It's so hard. It to answer tough. because because I feel like the Orioles are just as good as the Mariners, if not better, but they lost four six to them this year right and they took three of four from the white Sox in chicago when they were really beat up it, even if the orioles don't win the playoffs i think they're for don't make the playoffs i think they're for real i guess this is my long everything i say is drawn out these days i, <laughs> I, I guess my long drawn out answer is i think that, that they're for real whether they make the playoffs or not they got a lot of a lot of winning they got to do the last two months to get there
0: yeah, uh, you you apologized to me after the show last week for for going on a lot. I'm like, this is your show too, man. Talk as much as you want. Um, I I I always appreciate your input. Uh, in fact, I pro- I think I trust you more than myself to to say some of these things, and and you're uh you're very good at that. So I yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's yet to be seen. You know, you mentioned we only have to be better than a couple more teams if if we want to actually make a run at this thing. And you look at the White Sox. I think their manager is the guy standing in their way. They have a very talented roster yeah. too. The Jays, I would agree with you, are are more talented than us, especially when you look at their starting rotation. I think they're the one to, to
1: go to at least go to the World Series this year. You know, the, I, the, I think the, they the, could too. The fact that they, the fact that, I, I think they had to fire their manager because even though they were in a playoff spot when they fired him, they they were underachieving. You know, the, the, yes, that, that team that team is is a hundred win. That's a hundred win roster. That's not going to win hundred games.
0: Right. It, they, yeah, they absolutely should be. Um, and I, I'm I'm hoping the White Sox come back and and win the Central. I have a uh, a parlay. It was I think it was the Astros. It was either the Astros or the Yankees to win the division, the Dodgers to win their division, the Orioles to win over 60 and a half games, which is a shoe in at this point. And the last piece is the White Sox. So I need I need them to to get hot, but not hot enough to take a wild card spot away from the Orioles. Right. Um, the well, Orioles, that, by the bit- way. Would be in first place in the AL Central That's what I was about as to say. of right you, now.
1: You look at that Central Division and the White Sox, Guardians, and um, Twins are all separated by what, like a game and a half?
0: Yeah, it's close. Yeah. It's real close. Uh, so let's go ahead and move on. We have another question. Uh, this one also came from Hunter. Um, if we could tweak the Orioles uniforms, Paul, what would you do? For, for me, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I just have a quick one. The, the apostrophe in the O's logo is backward, and it drives me crazy. That's the one tweak I would make. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty content.
1: Um, I Derek Arnold posted this. I do not – and it's funny because I have a black – an all-black Orioles hat that's just the O with the apostrophe S that I wear to the gym all the time. And I actually love that hat, but the black hat with the orange bill and the orange O's, I hate it. I hate that yeah. hat. I hate that hat. It's actually the only Orioles hat that they wear on the field that I don't own. It's the only one. And so I I would get rid of that hat, just like Derek said. But then on top of that, you remember, I think it was 1971 when they had four 20 game winners and they had the picture of those four 20 game winners and they're all wearing the all orange uniform. Yes. I want to see the all orange uniform. Give it to me. I, I I want it. I don't know once or twice a month. If that became their their every Saturday uniform, I'd be giddy. But I'll I'll, I'll take it. Give me that uniform six to ten times a year, and I'm set. I love that look.
0: Yeah. I, I, one thing I wrote as well was I, I wish they would wear throwbacks way more often than they do. I, mm-hmm. I honestly I can't remember the last time they did. I think looking back, the last one I can remember, and I'm sure they've done it since then, just none of them stand out. They wore the, the old ones in the, the 2014 game against the Cardinals when they celebrated mm-hmm. the 60th anniversary of the team. They wore some throwbacks in that series. Since then, I, I really don't recall much, but I'd, I'd like to see those throwbacks. And yeah, the, that all orange is the best of the best. Um, I'm also excited to see what they do with the City Connect jerseys. I think we should yeah. be expecting those next season. Is that correct?
1: I think they're on, they're on tap to do it next year. I think they're one, yeah. I think it's like they're one of four or six teams that are getting, they're doing it next year.
0: I'm excited to see what concept they they, they take that in. Um, we don't know if it's going to be warehouse-themed or, you know, Old Bay-themed, Natty Bow-themed. Who knows? But in any event, I'm I'm excited to see what they do yeah. with the City Connect jerseys. And even if it sucks, I'll probably buy one because it's, it's cool.
1: They'll just wear um, purple uniforms and connect with the Ravens.
0: Uh, honestly, fine with me. I will take 10 of them.
1: Did you see the the picture, um, somebody photoshopped it, of Lamar Jackson wearing a football uniform that was Orioles? I think I've seen it. was I like an, think it was, it was like an orange it. jersey and it said Orioles across the front and it had the Oriole bird on the helmet. Yeah, that yeah. Lo- it looked so cool. It looked so cool. I was like, oh man, I wish they would let the Ravens do that. But they already have two orange teams in the division. You know, That's I, true. I, that, that was, I thought that was cool. It, maybe if the Orioles did something like that, but that's not really a city connect, that's a Ravens connect
0: thing. Anyway, yeah. I digress. <laughs> um, Matt Taylor, who is a, a very well-respected member of the Orioles Twitter community, uh, he wants to know, he, he wanted a discussion. And honestly, I don't know if, if we can get into a massive discussion about this simply because I'm not sure we have an answer. Um, he wanted to, to us to talk about lesser known factors that go into deciding when to call prospects up to the majors. And I think in order to answer that question, the first thing we have to do is understand if there is a specific pattern or if it's a case-by-case basis. And I think the Orioles have made it pretty clear to this point that before they call up any prospect, they have a lot of, I don't know if they're physical boxes. boxes they want checked, but there's some type of checklist, whether it's tangible or not. Uh, that they want to see these players knock out. And uh, it brings me to another point. Um, Chris Resitar, another member of, of Orioles Twitter, doesn't call himself an Orioles fan, but he he's definitely involved. Uh, he's a friend of mine from high school, big time baseball fan, big time prospect guy. And I saw a tweet from him a couple weeks ago in response to someone else, where he said that he's been trying to figure out what the pattern is and he, he can't figure it out. So... Paul, I guess in, in your estimation, is there something specific that, these, that, that Elias and, and whoever's making these decisions, is there something specific they're looking for across the board? Or is it kind of, you know, we need this player to have a certain amount of plate appearances, a certain amount of innings pitched, a certain whatever it is? What, what, what do you think is the qualifying factor?
1: So I think that they're just looking for sustained success at each level right so like they they're really quick to move guys from high a to double a and from double a to triple a they are not quick to move guys from triple a to the majors as we've seen and i think that they that they like if we're going to bring you up you need to be excelling in each one of these categories and maybe with Kyle Stowers it's yeah your strikeout rate is down but you're still striking out 25% of the time and maybe with Gunnar Henderson like you put in the notes yeah, you're, you're you're tearing the cover off the ball, but your OPS is 702 against lefties. You know, and the and with DL Hall, you throw 100 and you get a lot of strikeouts, but you also walk a lot of guys. Um, and there was so, the
0: issue with him maybe tipping pitches a little bit in in a couple right. starts. That could be a, a persistent issue that they want to really and, tackle. Well, and
1: that that's actually something that he noticed himself. Um, mm. And he thought that he was noticing maybe a pitching coach brought it to his attention, but it's from what I read, it seemed like that's something that he figured out on his own, and he just started dominating after that. Um, I think they want sustained success at the highest level before promoting it. But I also think that there's something to, you know, we talk about Ruben Neto door and he's on this team because of his intangibles and his leadership. Right. And I think that there might be something to, how do you handle handle yourself on a baseball field? How do you react when something doesn't go your way? Are you a hothead? Are you getting thrown out of games? Are you arguing with umpires or are you saying your piece being like, I feel like that was low or, you know, you know, maybe is that as high as that pitch go? As that pitch can go? How do you handle yourself on the baseball field when something doesn't go your way? And maybe it's a maturity aspect.
0: It very well could be. Um, but in in any event, we hope to see these guys soon. We hope that they are checking off all the boxes with Stowers in particular. I don't know what is left. Um, I, I I wish, and I, I'm sure this data is available. I just personally don't know where to find it, but. It could, it could also be an issue with these hitters of maybe they really struggle against breaking balls. Maybe they really struggle against, you know, fastballs upwards of 96. Who knows? It could mm-hmm. be any number of things that they know is going to become a problem if they make it to the major leagues and start facing these more dominant pitchers who, it feels like most of them now are throwing 98 mile an hour fastballs. Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So you know, obviously, we 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 hope to see those guys soon. Um, but I'm sorry, Matt, that we we don't have a specific answer to, to yeah, that would, question. But
1: I would love to be a fly on the wall in Michael Elias's office. Oh, absolutely! I, I, I have no idea. I just have speculation, but no real idea what they ta- what they what they're looking for.
0: I you know when they were down in the seating bowl last night, I I wanted to go over to him because uh, DJ Stewart is back. Uh, Pardon me. I'll get to that in a moment. Rowdy Tellez just hit a game-tying solo home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Rays and Brewers are now tied. The Orioles' wildcard hopes, for the short term, are, are still alive. How about
1: a new nickname for Ruth Neto Odor, Rowdy Ruge?
0: Rowdy Ruge. I like it. I saw uh, Tom, who is, is Odor's number one fan, um, he tweeted yesterday, hashtag stink bomb. How have none of us thought of that yet? Oh, that
1: is Earl, brilliant. Um Earl Weaver's ghost um uh, has been tweeting that for every odor home run all year.
0: Oh, I I I follow him and I have not seen that. So yeah, I'm he, he I'm sorry for every, Mr. For every Weaver. Home. Well, that's great. And I I think I think more of us need to do that. Um but Anyway, anyway did you,
1: did you see what Tom changed his Twitter name to?
0: I it, I it don't was, remember what uh, it is. I saw he changed it
1: it. it. it was um First round, It was first it round pick.
0: Oh, yeah, and he added the letters added, to make he it. He added
1: to make it roof net, like in yeah. parentheses. It was actually pretty genius. I think that he said Dylan Atkinson came up with that.
0: Uh, nice. I like it. That's creative. Yeah, I mean, hey, look, shout out to Tom. Say what say what you want about the guy, but he's been supporting Odor all along, and last night was one of the times he gets to celebrate his favorite player making another big play.
1: You just know he's about to go 5-45 again. You just know it's going to happen.
0: anyway. Oh, for sure. So anyway, so I I bring up DJ Stewart and then immediately a player who looks like DJ Stewart and Rowdy Tellez hits a home run and distracts me. Uh, He was injured for, he's been injured for a good chunk of the season, had good numbers at AAA before he got hurt. He's back from a rehab assignment. Paul, the Norfolk Tides started DJ Stewart at first base last night. Does that mean anything? Um, if he was the Orioles the, don't have a regular backup first baseman on the roster.
1: Maybe it does. Uh, if he was but they've also been getting ground balls at Anthony Santander there all year. And maybe right. that's what their plan is for him. Um it, I think it would mean more if he was still on the 40 man roster. But yeah. Stewart got DFA'd earlier this year and he cleared waivers and he was outright to triple A. No. I'm going to say no for right now because I don't know that they – I mean they have an open spot on the 40-man. I assumed it was going to go to probably Kyle Stowers, yeah. but um, – yeah, because they lost – they they, they DFA – they didn't DFA, but they released um, Rylan Bannon off the 40-man. and he got picked up by the Dodgers again. Um, if he was on the 40-man, so, I, I would read more into it, but until that happens, I'm not reading anything into it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a case with, with Bannon of – they. Uh, it seems like they were trying to sneak him through waivers, but the Dodgers – uh grabbed him at the tail end there. I'm sure the Orioles were hoping he would clear and and be able to accept an assignment to AAA, but you know, I I, br- I bring up DJ Stewart because with Elias in the seating bowl last night, I you, know, you mentioned wanting to be a fly on the wall. I'd love to pick his brain just even if it's just for a couple minutes. And I decided last night that if I were to go over and talk to him, which I did not do, but I probably will at some point if I if I see another opportunity. I'd, I I would have loved to ask him last night because I'm, I'm terrified of this scenario. I wanted to ask him, is there a non-zero chance that we see DJ Stewart here before we see Kyle Stowers? Because th- I, that would if we get one of those Orioles tweets, we have made the following roster moves, and it says, purchase the contract of outfielder DJ Stewart, and Stowers still isn't on the roster, I don't know how I would possibly react to that, but it would not be good.
1: Yes, TJ Seward's one of those guys that you mentioned that when he gets a ninety-six mile an hour fastball, he can't get around on it. Yeah, um, I've never seen a guy struggle with fastballs down the middle so much in all my life. Um, the thing, I would love to pick Michael Elias's brain. It, it, you would one hundred percent have to say to him, "This is completely off the record." So, oh, absolutely, and, and, and you'd have to keep it to yourself forever. You couldn't yes. tell me, even behind closed doors, you couldn't tell me, right? Because right. the risk of it getting out, because then he could sue you. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah I I would love to say that go to him and say off the record just you and me what's your thought process with all this stuff. I just can't imagine DJ Stewart being back in. I mean, I guess I can. I guess I can if this was last year, right? If they had yeah. DFA'd him and, and, and they were a losing ball club, or they or maybe they had they they were just a few games below 500 but were so far out of the playoff picture that like maybe then I just – you know who he is at this point, and he's 29 years old. Like, there's no – I didn't think Odor would make it this far, and I had no inclination they'd ever go after Brett Phillips.
0: No. Never. I mean, we we both wanted Odor cut out of spring training, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now now yeah. he's still I guess, here. But, I,
1: I mm-hmm. will say I, I don't think there's – I think there is a non-zero chance that – that Stewart could be here. I won't put it at no. I won't say no. There's yeah. a chance. Oh, God, there's a chance.
0: Uh, I know. I hate – uh, I don't want to think about it. I tweeted back – I don't remember if it was April or May when the Orioles finally cut the cord and designated Stewart for assignment. I immediately tweeted, I can't wait to for him to clear waivers, get outrighted to AAA, and be back on the Orioles in a couple months. Mm-hmm. And if he hadn't gotten hurt, we might have seen it way sooner. But two out of three – it it would not surprise me at all, but man, if he gets a look before Kyle Stowers does,
1: he is the definition of a four A player because oh yeah, he always has hit well at AAA. He's always hit well at AAA. But we not thought at the big league level.
0: We thought Ryan McKenna was going to be the same way, but he's been hot in his own right. He's yeah. he's been crushing it. Um, but another another kind of this or that. Um, with with a call up. Um, Matt Harvey has not been great in AAA since he made it there this year. Do you think there's a chance, kind of similar to Stewart and Stowers, do you think there's any chance we see Matt Harvey before we see D.L. Hall? I, I think that one's more likely. I'm just not sure how likely.
1: I think it's more, far more likely than yeah. the D.J. Stewart thing. I think it's bordering on probable, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, D.L. Hall hasn't – he's had some really dominant outings for AAA, but he hasn't put together – a dominant stretch where he's not given up anything. Right. And I think that really until he puts together two, three, four starts where he gives up no runs, only a couple of hits, and only like a, a walk or two with eight to 12 strikeouts, that you're not going to see D.L. Hall uh, maybe at the end of the month. But I think that if the Orioles find a need for starting pitching – and honestly, do they have a need for a starting pitcher right now based on how everybody else is throwing in the position?
0: Who do you replace? That's that's the and thing. It's,
1: it's so crazy to say that because you don't have anybody in your rotation that if you, they asked us at the beginning of the year that we would have said we trusted. If you told yeah. me Spencer Watkins would be the Orioles' uh, non-Dean Kramer ERA leader uh, in August with an ERA sub-4, I never would have believed you. Never oh, would have believed you.
0: It's it's ridiculous, and I, I'm I'm actually trying to pull up now. Uh, I was I was looking at Baseball Savant the other day. And uh, I I need to figure out which – it was one of these – oh, percentile rankings for pitchers. If you go there and you sort by Baltimore Orioles, all of the peripheral stats say that the Orioles starting rotation is horrific. But they're putting up numbers, and I don't – I mean, Austin Vogt, Spencer Watkins, they're – their base number – the numbers that you look at when you're trying to evaluate a pitcher or the numbers that you would look at if you were evaluating a pitcher in 2004, these guys are dominating. You look at their peripheral stats, they're not good at all, and yet they're finding ways to win. And that kind of brings me to – or brings us to the point you brought up with Matt Kremnitzer's tweet from from earlier today. How is this team doing this? I um, mean it's it's unreal.
1: So the Adley Rutschman factor, I don't think, can be understated. I think yeah. he's, I think he's the best catcher in the game right now, and he's three months into his big league career. Uh, you cannot, not even three months in, the Adley Rutschman factor cannot be understated. Um, Austin that both does have. I, I saw it on Madison the other day. His curveball spin rate is in the ninety seventh percentile, and his fastball yep. spin rate's in the eighty third percentile. Um, I think that's what it was. His fastball He's and his is crazy. 85th is what it shows now. That could have yeah. changed over a couple of days. Yeah. So, like, that's telling you that the stuff is there. They just need to hone in on it, right? Um, but also, what they're having the catchers do is they're having the catchers set up in the middle of the plate. Yes. You know, and, and it's basically what they're telling their pitchers. By doing that, they're basically telling their pitchers the important thing here is not nibbling. You come in and you throw strikes, and your stuff will play. If you come in here with the mentality, I'm going to throw strikes. And how do you do that? You line up to catcher in the middle of the play. Um, and I, I think that's how they're doing it. And this is You're seeing proof positive why the Orioles named Chris Holt their pitching coach. Uh, because if they didn't, he'd be on a World Series contender, um, leading them to the best ERA in baseball, I, I think.
0: Yeah, uh, what Chris Holt's done this season cannot be understated, just like the Adley effect. Uh, the, the the strike that he stole the other night against oh, uh Austin, Alejandro Kirk is 6 inches above the strike zone. He he pulls it down. And then there was there was one I think it might have been against Austin Hayes in the the 8th inning before his single uh that that preceded Odor's go-ahead home run. Uh there was a pitch in the top of the zone that, that Kirk couldn't frame. And I, it, it got me curious, and I was looking at, at the numbers on Savant, and, and Rutschman's framing skills in just about every quadrant um, of the edge of the strike zone are very, very highly rated. And Kirk, I don't know if it's because he's, what, 5'7", five, 5'8"? Five,
1: five, pounds.
0: Yeah, but he cannot get those high strikes. It's, it's his worst zone, I think. Uh, If if I recall Um, correctly, if they
1: go, if it doesn't suck though, that it looks like we're headed towards robot umps, and so framing won't matter.
0: I know. I was talking to my buddy about that the other night. Uh, It's yeah, it it almost feels like it would devalue Adley a little bit, and I I don't think that's it's going to change much, aside from you know a few of those strike calls. He's still going to be the team leader. He's still going to be greeting the pitchers on their way to the dugout. He's still going to lead the team in on base percentage. So you know, it's it's not going to affect a whole lot, but it will devalue you know his ability to to steal a strike zone to steal a strike excuse me that's out of the zone right um but yeah so a couple other people wanted to ask about um some free agent targets we'll get to that another time uh we're coming up on an hour we've got one more question that we wanted to get to um i don't remember who submitted this i apologize um if you had to trade one of the everyday outfielders being Santander, Mullins, or Hayes, to open a spot in the offseason. Paul, who are you moving?
1: Oh, man. Uh, This is a lot easier to answer before the All-Star break. Um, Absolutely. They each have a skill set that's different um, and that's really good. So, Cedric Mullins, a ball hit in the air, he's getting to it, right? If it's in the air and in the ballpark, he's usually getting to it. Um, uh, Hayes, he's steady but has that elite arm, right? Um, and it, his offense is sporadic. He's a little bit like Luke Scott, right? Um, and then Santander, power from both sides of the plate. He's, he's a guy who just crushes the ball. When he gets hot, he can carry a team. and his, He was a goal Glove finalist a couple of years ago. I think there's a place on any team for a guy like Anthony Santander. Um shoot.
0: It's a tough question. It really I'm is. Sure if you had asked me before the All-Star break, uh, I or before the trade deadline, Santander, uh, see ya. Yeah. Easy. Uh, uh, and then he goes on a 19 game hitting streak. He's hitting for power, he's hitting for average, he's still walking. It, it's he's been he's been one of our most valuable players the last few weeks.
1: Yeah, I uh, 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 I don't want to trade any of them. If I had to, and God, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get attacked for this too.
0: I know what it's, you're gonna say. I think
1: it would probably be Cedric Mullins. I, I yeah. think you would, I think you would get the most in return. I think so too. Not because I don't want him here, but I think he's the guy who would bring the most back in return. And then you, Colton Cowser, is just a hitting machine. Uh, so you put him in center field, and you'll you're still okay. Yeah. Um, I hate that question, man. It's just so, it's so damn hard. It's so damn hard. I don't want to trade any of them at this point. Although, if you ask me who I think is the likeliest to go, it's probably Santander this offseason. season.
0: Probably, I think so too. When you when you consider the defense, I know they love the pitchers. Love having Mullins out there. The the, the knock on Mullins obviously is he's everyone runs on him. He's got a terrible arm. Uh, we saw it. Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of first to thirds last night that were like, "There's no way." that he should have taken that extra base, but they're not afraid of Mullen. I mean, Vlad Guerrero went first to third on a routine single to center field.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, and and Mullen's didn't even try and and legitimately any other center center fielder worth their salt comes up throwing on that and makes it close at at the, at the worst close to third base with a good throw. Mullen's didn't even try. And and that's the thing with me is I think Cedric Mullins is going to have to move to left field. I cannot allow guys to keep tagging from first to second on deep fly balls to center field and scoring without a throw on base hits to center field from second base. So you can't let that keep happening. I think that he's got to move to left field if, if you're going to keep him on your roster.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Um, and if you know, they're not ready for Kowser, Austin Hayes, I think would play a spectacular center field. He might not get to as many balls, but you're not sacrificing a ton of range. I don't think, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that, and you that you still, the arm you still is,
1: have, you still have Cedric playing in left, and Cedric can cover the gap still in left field. Exactly. Most, most of your hitters are right-handed, right? So you still have a Cedric who can cover that gap. I don't know that Brandon Hyde is ever going to do that, and which might mean which might make it Mullins even more likely to be traded. But um, God, I don't want to trade any of them to be honest with you.
0: Me neither. But if if it comes to finding a spot for Kyle Stowers, then trade any of them, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I hate saying that cuz it's yeah I don't I don't actually want that to happen but um I I've, I've been saying for 3 weeks now I need Kyle Stowers in my lineup every day. Mm-hmm. Um Paul that uh, appro- we're approaching an hour here um I think my internet is starting to cut out a little bit with the storm cuz our audio has been a little choppy these last couple minutes I don't I'm know sure. if it's the storm or my internet or what but um I'm going to wrap this up before the whole thing comes crashing down cuz I'm I'm terrified of that so Uh-oh. uh
1: amazingly Laura does not have a ticket for tonight's game, despite the rain coming. I've tried to take her to two games this year. We tried to go to the first game against the Cubs. It got rained out before first pitch. We went to the game last night, rain delay in the sixth inning. And now I finally see storm clouds out my window.
0: Yeah, it's, it it might be a long one. It's, it's still coming down pretty good down here in Rockville. Uh, I I had bought, I I didn't buy tickets for, for Wednesday. I wanted to go tonight as well. Uh, I was there Monday. I was there Tuesday Last night, I wore the exact same attire down to the underwear. Uh, Sheesh, did you wash call, him first? Uh, yeah, I washed him, but call it call it superstitious. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> not, call it superstitious, super but,
1: but I am a little
0: stitious. I'm always a little stitious. Look, we, we came out there on Monday night and, and put up seven runs against the Blue Jays. Coming into Tuesday, it was Kyle Bradish versus Alec Manoa. Not really a pitching matchup you expect to win. The Orioles did it. That's a single in the left field. The Milwaukee Brewers have just walked off the Tampa Bay Rays. Nice. As of, as of this moment, the Baltimore Orioles are in a playoff spot. I think that's a good place to end it, Paul. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I look forward Amen. to continuing. And uh, thank you as always to Derek and Tony and the crew at Utah Street Report for hosting the pod. We'll see you guys next week on Give That Fan a Podcast.